As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Mark Chapman, welcome to the Business of Sport podcast on The Athletic. Matt Slater with us as usual. We'll uh, get the latest on the Chelsea takeover a little later uh, in the pod. But first of all, Matt, you've been in conversation with Darius Mierduski, owner and president of Poland's most successful club, that's Legia Warsaw. And also he's vice chairman of the European Club Association. Yeah, he is. And and that's that's really, I suppose it was the sort of second half of his, of his, uh, of his job spec there that... Uh, is the reason we I wanted to talk to him. I, I've I've been along to various European club association meetings, and he's always impressed me. Very bright guy, um, obviously Polish. I think he was educated at Harvard, a lawyer. Just speaks really well, really clearly. And 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 the European Club Association is an unusual group. We 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 often sort of refer to them on this pod. They were born of I don't know if listeners will remember the G14 group, which was the sort of it was around about the 80s, the 90s, the, the, the richest clubs in Europe formed a little lobby group to really kind of lean on UEFA. And this is really where the Champions League came from. It, it, was, it was their pressure that turned the old European Cup into the Champions League. So think about guys like Berlusconi and, and Rangers were very involved at the beginning as well, which, again, there's a little story there about how far we've come, I guess, over the last 25, 30 years. Turning that old-fashioned knockout competition, which had loads of jeopardy, i.e., a big team could play a big team in the first round and get knocked out. And then we, we've morphed into this ever bigger league, basically, which is going to become a real a proper league from 2024, 25 onwards. The G14 were very much part of that. There were lots of rows with UEFA over things like oh, the release of players and club country rows and you name it. And there was a peace deal. Eventually there was a peace deal. Uh, the European Union got involved, competition law got involved, and the G4 team was scrapped. It even it had grown to like 20 clubs by the point by that point anyway. So the, the the name was ridiculous, and it's become the European Club Association, which is supposed to be a lot more inclusive. And you've got about 240 clubs in there now. Now Crystal Palace owner chairman Steve Parish often likes to have a pop at the European Club Association to say that it's really still just the G14. It's run by United, Liverpool, Arsenal, Barca, Real, those sorts of clubs, Bayern. 
And look, those clubs are clearly very important. And that's where the, the leadership tends to come from. But it does, as I said, it has grown. It is more representative. The The, the strongest teams from each league are there. I can't remember how many English clubs are there now. It's about a dozen. Um, and Darius, as the owner, the boss of Legia Warsaw, who who back in the 70s, 80s, you know, were a, were a you know one of those European Cup Cup type clubs, is there to represent that type of club, a big club in a mid tier league. So that's the hat he wears there. Back at home in Poland, he wears, you know, he's, he's, he's the owner of Man United or, you know. But, but when he's at the European Club Association table, he is representing almost a dozen leagues and 30, 40 clubs, a bit like Legia Warsaw. So that's why that's why he's interesting. And uh, we talked we talked about both both his roles, really. Right. Well, here he is then. This is Matt speaking to Darius Miodowski, owner and president of Legia Warsaw. Darius, thanks very much for, for joining us. You're the biggest club in Poland. You're the most successful club in Poland. You're the reigning champions. Uh, but I've just had a little look. <laughs> you, well, you're on a seven-game unbeaten run, right? But that's only got you to 10th. So what, what's exactly. happened? What's happened? I mean, we were in really, uh, uh, you know, if we spoke three months ago, I would have been in even worse mood than I am today. I mean, this is something... From the perspective of uh, of a Legia fan, in particular, uh, something unthinkable. At least in in the, in the last uh, in the last years, I have to say that on uh, that this is also a reminder for myself how quickly you go from heaven to hell, and uh, hopefully we'll go from hell to heaven equally quickly. But Legia has won championship uh, six times in the last eight years. Uh, twice we were second. Uh, we participated in regularly in, in European competitions, and and uh, so this year has been uh, crazy, uh, particularly that because we've started so well. I mean, we started uh, focusing on on Europe and focusing on on uh, qualifications. We had extremely difficult qualifications to uh, uh, to finally what was Europa League. We were a goal away from being in Champions League. Then we started to perform very well, beating beating Leicester City mm, in, uh, yeah, at home, beating Spartak away, and everything seemed to be rosy and beautiful. And then uh, the bottom fell out, and uh, the the whole team disintegrated. You know, and of course, I am I am uh, still trying to understand uh, the reasons. And I think, as usual, in the situations like this, there is a little bit of everything. You know, it's uh, too much focus uh, on Europe. Uh, not perhaps enough of experience uh, of handling uh, playing in Europe and the league and the cup at the same time, and by the coaching staff that we had at this uh, at that time, uh, you know some issues in the in in the squad. We had a lot of very very bad injuries as well. So uh, some mismanagement of of the squad as well. I think it wasn't uh, really uh, done in a way to really be sustainable in pl- playing on three fronts. So then when the spiral started, you know, our players are not used to playing against, you know, to fight relegation there. So this was the whole club. It was a shock. Uh, and, uh, and we started to lose one game after another, some unlucky games, some, uh, some simply we were not good enough. And, uh, and then the spiral started. So I, I was uh, I was really thankful when the break winter break yeah. came in and we were able to put it back together. 
Yeah, and you and you have turned it around, and thankfully relegation is. I think we can both say is off the table. So let's I, let's I let's, let's, let's 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 move forward. But look, it's interesting hearing you talk about the importance of Europe, and when we have spoken to guys like you, and I, I mean this really, really, you know, warmly and generously, um, big clubs from mid-sized leagues, from mid-sized markets, Europe is very important, isn't it, Darius? Is it? I would imagine fairly central to your to your budget. So what are you thinking for next season? Well, Europe is important for several reasons for us. Um, clearly, uh, clearly the money issue is, you know, it's uh, if you play in European competitions for clubs like from the type of leagues that, that uh, I represent, it's a significant part of the budget. Right? So, so um, um, generally speaking, we structure our costs uh, to and expect to play in Europe. This is, you know, so when we don't play in Europe, our cost base doesn't change so much, but our income changes. So, so clearly not playing, not qualifying is, is a big problem. And this is a big issue for top clubs from, let's say, medium and smaller leagues. Because clubs like, like Legia, we have the ambitions to, to compete, right? But because the ranking of the league is so low, we have to fight from the first round of qualifications, which is normally extremely, extremely tough to, to, to get through. So, and at the same time, uh, we're finishing the season quite late. We have a week break. Then we have a training camp and we start qualifications and typically we start a league. So, so for us, the winter break actually is much longer break than the summer break. And at the same time, what you have is that your best players typically leave because they are poached by by other clubs you have to reconstruct the team and you have to start qualifications in the league so that period typically is the most difficult period in a, in a, for clubs like like us and this is something that i hope at some point will will change because it's it's very difficult on a, on a daily basis now we won't play in europe so of course uh, from legia standpoint is very bad i mean this is not something that has happened to us in the in many many years we haven't even played in qualifications but you know i am an optimist at heart typically and i always look at, at things in a way which you know in every bad situation there is something to learn from and something to to do which uh, which can come out to be positive and good you know so so the way i look at it is is that we have you know there is a reason why we have didn't we have are having such a such a bad season, you know. But there are some things we have not done correctly. So now is the time for us to take a look at the club, and this is what we have been doing for the last few months. And now we're in both on our sports side and, and also non-sports side, and 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 try to make changes, which is a little bit going to fundamentals as well, and build those fundamentals anew so we can then start building on that for future success. And I am very sure that this is going to be only a year of us not playing in Europe. I, I know that we have enough of a strength internally, knowledge, competence to, you know, but this was this is a cold shower that perhaps we had to we had to suffer. And now we focus on the positive side of this. I wonder also about the importance of playing in Europe to showcase your young talent because obviously that's a crucial revenue stream for for clubs like yours and I know you I know you have a great academy I know Polish football has a really good story to tell around development of players at the moment it, is that something that worries you about maybe missing a year 
of that, particularly at a time when when COVID has has affected the entire transfer market. Is that is that a concern? Of course, it's a concern. I mean, playing for in Europe is important for those reasons for for show, showcasing the young talent, but also for our branding reason. We 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 really you know uh, not only for us, but I think for for the Polish league is important than Polish teams play in Europe. And we were the ones, the one team that was regularly uh, playing in Europe. So this was important. So it's affecting our branding and we need to somehow deal with it. But also uh, the way I look at it is perhaps this will be a season where it will be a little bit easier for us to introduce uh, academy players because we will not be fighting uh, you know, uh, in Europe and in qualification. One of the reasons I'm asking so much about Europe is the first time I heard you talk, I think the first time we, we, we sort of met, I would have been in the front row asking a question. So it wasn't a very personal way of meeting. But it is your role with the European Club Association. So, you you know, you're a vice president of that. And for our listeners, that's the sort of club uh, of the wealthy clubs in Europe. It represents the interests of 200 or so of the of the top clubs, and would I be would it be fair to say, Darius, that your that your remit really is to is to is to is to uh, speak for clubs of legia size and for leagues of the Polish league size? Is that is that is that, is that what you feel you 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 do at the ECA? Well, just to just to clarify it fully, I mean, ECA is a is an organization which is which is uh, bringing together the top clubs in Europe, but there is a small difference, and I think this needs to be understood. This is not top clubs in the meaning of uh, how fan thinks about top clubs, but it's top clubs from each European country. So even the smallest one, you know, like Luxembourg and Gibraltar and Malta, etc., they have the representation, and top clubs from that league are represented in the ECA. And the whole concept around it is those are the clubs that, that regularly participate in European competitions. So, so at least in qualifications, if not, because we sometimes think it's, it's, it's only the group stage, but it's also in the qualifications. So this is where the common thread is that regardless of the size of the club, some of those clubs are very tiny. They're not necessarily wealthy. Okay. But they represent their leagues, their countries, and they are, they are the top clubs in those leagues. So, we are divided into into uh, different groups and yes you're right that my task uh, is about representation let's say of clubs which are similar to legia so it's from countries which are smaller countries or bigger countries but necessarily but in the ranking of of european uh, let's say leagues uh, they are somewhere in the middle of the table right uh, so and, and a lot of them struggle with the same issues that uh, the Legia is struggling with. In other words, expectations of the fans that being the biggest brands in the country, you should be fighting in Europe, you should be there, you should be competitive, you should uh, bring uh, big, uh, big players, you should, you know, all these, the, the fans are everywhere ex- expect the success and I don't blame them, I do as well. But we are faced with, with similar challenges, you know. And the main challenge, to put it structurally, is that and this is, I think, the main issue in Europe as, as we facing, let's say, club football, is that there is a uh, disproportion or basically a break between all clubs having to compete for talent and for players without borders at the European level. Okay, 
So, so and today players, because after Bosman can move and play anywhere else, anywhere they want, where they, they are getting paid the most. So we have to compete for those players, but our revenues are limited to the local market and to particularly local media market. So this is the difference why the biggest media markets have the strongest leagues and the small media markets have the weakest leagues because the, the, the amount of money that a club can earn is limited to that market. Europe is a little bit of a, let's say, an open window where you can get additional uh, money from Europe, playing in Europe. But if you look at the percentages of the, of, uh, the budget that that means for, for clubs, it's not actually so high. Uh, the smaller the club, the bigger the budget it is. And this is why it's so important for those clubs to play in Europe. So, uh, so yeah, so this is the reality. And it doesn't look like anything will change anytime soon. Well, well we might get into that. So, so, I mean, look, there's a really, you know, a stark way of, of, of thinking about what you've just explained there. So your Europa League group, you were, you were in the same group as Leicester City, which, I don't know, let's call them the 7th, 8th, ninth biggest team mm-hmm. in the Premier League somewhere in that range right you're the biggest team in Poland well that, that's that that was who you were competing with I mean, I'm looking at your your um your UEFA coefficient you're by far the, the strongest team in Poland but you're 114th at the yeah. moment maybe you didn't know that but it's only because I looked this morning various <laughs> but, well, the, but the next yeah. best is in the 200s right so yes. you know you yeah. you are the cheerleader you are you know the front runner for for, for, for Poland you're you know you're the flag bearer sorry and the Polish league at the moment is ranked 22nd out of the 50 or so leagues in Europe that's an improvement it was it was, it was in the 30s a few years back so you know you I would argue have, have helped drive Poland's improvement but for, for that 22nd ranking you get what four places for European berths we have four places and only the champion can play in qualifications to the Champions League everybody plays from the first round of qualifications other than the champion everybody else can only play in conference league cannot even play in Europa League mm. so this is where where you know but to tell you the truth, I, you know, because I've, as part of the ECA, I've been working quite hard on the, on future changes to, to uh, uh, the format. And, and I am glad to see that, that when we reached 2024, first of all, it's good that the Europa, that the Europa Conference League was created because this allows another uh, 16 teams to actually play in Europe. Even in the Conference League, everybody was quite skeptical about this. Uh, I I was not I, I really believed in it and I worked very hard for this to make it happen. But then once the first season was played, everybody that was participating was saying, "Yeah, this is a good competition. Perhaps it's not a great competition for the top, let's say, Premier League teams, because for them it's not enough of a branding exposure that they want or money that they they would want to make it. To, you know, but but for other than top five leagues and even some clubs in, in top five leagues, it's a good competition and it's a way to, to, to be in Europe, to showcase your players, to, to perform, to, to build your brand. So, so uh, this is going more and more in that direction. And I'm happy to, to, to say again, again, with the hard work within the ECA and UEFA, and I have to say this is the cooperation was really, really good in that. We will have even an improvement of that in, in the past 24 
in, in the following season, we'll start the competitions with 36 teams, right? So there's going to be even more teams able to, to participate, which I think it's a good news for, for uh, leagues and, and clubs, uh, top clubs from medium and smaller countries. European Conference League success. I've actually heard that from other clubs as well, people or guests on our podcast. So that's that was a good move. Reintroducing that third competition, the extra places as well. I can understand that too. Uh, I wonder if, and I, I am going to sort of be a, a ludicrously you know, romantic and turn, turn it way, the clock way back, Long mm-hmm. before you arrived, you know, we're getting involved in football. To those European Cup days where the mm-hmm. best team in Poland would not have to start in July yeah. playing three or four very tough competition games just to get to the group stage, but would enter round one and out, out, of, the, out of the hat, you may well have drawn the English champions or the German champions. Are those days gone? Is it, is it just ludicrous of me to even to pretend that that kind of competitive balance is achievable today? Uh, I would like to say, being optimistic me, that yes, it is possible. But the realist in me says, probably we will not go back to those days. I look with a lot of sentiment at the table and ranking of the clubs uh, globally in 1972, where Legia was the number six or seventh club uh, ranked in in the world. And then you had in the top 10, you know, Celtic was there and there was uh, uh, Red Star was there and Steva Bucharest was, was there and Dynamo Kiev, I think, was also there. You know, I think we were one place ahead of Real Madrid, right? So, <laughs> so, uh, uh, so this, is, this relates to what I, what I said earlier, you know, the Bosman rule changed everything. Uh, and, uh, and I don't see... I don't see this going this going back. You know, I I think unfortunately um, uh, unfortunately you know the, the the biggest markets will stay the biggest markets. I think there is an effort to uh, to try to improve the competitive balance, and and this is why some of the reforms uh, were for that as well. Is that you know, in Champions League qualifications and then finally in European competitions, there's going to be more champions than ever that, that will be playing, etc., etc. So, but I don't think there is going back. I think, uh, you know, even though from Legia's standpoint, to tell you the truth, you know, I have a little bit different story here. And I, you know, and I think of us a little bit differently. I think we do have a chance to become one of the, let's say, top 30, 40 clubs in Europe. Because... Because we're fortunate to come from a big country with a, with a rapidly growing economy, from a big capital city, few million people, with incredible fan base. So, and, the, and the market also for media rights in Poland uh, will be growing. So I think uh, we will have the fundamentals to, to, on the commercial side to also reach maybe not the level of the top 10 clubs in Europe, but to be somewhere there, uh, hopefully maybe closer to where Ajax is or, you know, or, or Benfica or, or, yeah. uh, or Porto. On one of those reforms, uh, the four extra places in the Champions League, going from 32 to 36, so you've got four extra places. And it's been one of the debating points. It's been one of the, the topics of conversation for the last year or so. It does appear now that we've got some certainty that they're going to be, I think one extra place is going to go to whichever is the fifth biggest league, which at the moment it is France, might not be France, but it is at the moment. 
uh, another place for is it Champions Path? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which, that, which to me was the the, the crucial part of well, of I was the that, see, I thought I thought it would be. So that does that get you an extra place for what is it? Is it one of the the leagues that is seventh? No, it's yeah seventh to to all the way down. So it's basically adding a, an extra space to the qualification. So whoever wins that qualification, but but having that one extra space space actually makes a difference it makes the qualifications a little bit different for some clubs unfortunately not yet for us but for some clubs it it will cause let's say them to play one one less round you know than than they would normally Uh, and it's it's just uh, it's making the the path to get there a little bit easier you know which is you know before the reforms in in four years or five years ago there was six Champions pass places, right? And this is last time we actually qualified. But my question, Darius, was why not three? You know, why? Well, just for any of our listeners that don't know where those other two have gone, they have gone to it's this sort of backdoor way in for big clubs. Dare I say, Man United or maybe an Arsenal, who have a great historic record five-year record in European football, but have not qualified via their domestic league. So it's a way of getting in based on you know, what they bring to the party. Now, is that fair? Or is that just something you have to accept because it's the way of the world? Obviously, it depends who you're asking. Are you asking Darius Miduski, who is the, the president of Legia Warsaw? Yes, say, yes, him. I, I want to talk no, to him. it's not fair. It should be okay. the champions, right? But if you're asking... Darius Miduski, who is the vice chairman of, of ECA and uh, been involved in, in, in this reform. I know that we have to be looking at many aspects of, of, of this. And one of the aspects is also the attractiveness of the competition, the competitiveness. It's clear that the big teams bring also the, the fans, they bring the money, they bring the value, etc. So, so simply what we have today is a result of a compromise. And as I always uh, like to say, you know, the best compromises are those where when everybody leaves, nobody's happy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, so, and I think this is the, the this is exactly the type of compromise. It's not that uh, I I can tell you, I, it was very hard work to negotiate that one place for the champions. Very hard. Okay, I believe so. Yeah, so so probably the other side, so to speak, is also not so happy that they had to agree, but at the end they agreed, and so so I think it's a step forward, and we need to live with it and be happy with it. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Financial fair play. Uh, UEFA 
the, the Exco uh, confirmed that the the new financial fair play rules have been have been approved. Uh, it's a it's a bit of a departure. It's still based on the old principles. I guess the main one is they are changing the break even rule. They're going to this um, instead of instead of it being sort of a, a firm number thirty million over three seasons. They're sort of expanding that to sixty million. But equally, they are saying that it's now based on seventy percent of of revenue. And I think the other rule, I suppose, that's going to be really important is this squad cost rule, which is actually, sorry, that is the 70% part. So, so they're, 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 tweaking, they're tweaking financial fair play. I know it's been complicated. I know various ideas were suggested, you know, a hard salary cap, very hard in the European Union, a luxury tax like we see in the States. Are you happy with the compromise? Are, do, do you think financial fair play is in a good place going forward? I certainly believe it's an improvement over over what for what it was before. You know, I think it's going in a in a right direction. And we have to, I think, remember of one thing because many people uh, want to perceive or perceive uh, financial fair play regulations as a method or way to try to achieve competitive balance, right? But this is not, not, it has nothing to do with competitive balance. I mean, it's, it's, this is not the way to do it. What, what these regulations are for is simply to force the clubs uh, and the whole scene, let's say football scene, to start being responsible and, and manage it in a proper way. Because you know, I know it from my from myself. I know that you know sometimes in this business you make decisions which are not hundred percent rational. That you would make similar type of decisions in other businesses. You there is a tendency to take too much risk because of how much pressure the clubs are from their fans to perform. So you you're doing things to achieve that sports performance which are not necessarily rational, right? And the financial fair play is a mechanism to actually keep it rash, more rational, to keep it structured, to not to prevent basically uh, situations which hurt the game overall and hurt the clubs overall. You know, it hurt the credibility of, of of the game and the clubs. So it's about cost control primarily, um, and it's about. Uh, but the new rules allow for more investments. Which, which will be required, and not investments in squads. This is why the squad limits. So it's not about putting more and more money into, you know, there are some clubs, I will not mention their names, that basically try to buy all the young talents in, in Europe, right? And bring them under their umbrella, loan them out, and, and, and then have access to this. You know, most of these young boys then just basically don't perform as well as they could have if they were in a different environment. Clubs that really cared about them they identified with, et cetera, et cetera. So it's many of these rules are about that. It's, a, it's about putting some normality into this and, and the proper management and cost control. And unfortunately, I think if, if the European Union re- regulations were, would allow it, we would even go farther than that. And we would uh, go in the direction of more of a hard salary cups and various things like this. But simply today under the regulations is not, is not possible okay. to achieve that. Just on on the seventy percent 
squad cost rule, which I suppose is the the cornerstone of of the of the new regulations. Just give me an example. I mean, Legia, where 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 do you sit now? Would you would you pass that that requirement yes. today? You would. Yes, we we would, and and we've had that for for a number of years. But but we uh, over the last few years we made substantial investments in other parts of the of the club, and this is. Something I have to I have to say I have to deal with, and I'm still dealing with, uh, even from the perspective of the fans. Fans, okay, they may appreciate that we built a new training facility, new academy, but at the end, they only care whether we win. So, you know, I I had a lot of people a few years ago to say you're crazy. Don't you know it's impossible for you to spend X million euros to build this facility. You should inv- invest in players. You should be- go and win trophies. You know. We try to do both. This is the most difficult thing. But, but I think, uh, you know, uh, th- this is really forcing the clubs to, to think differently about what they're doing, you know, how they're, whether they're sustainable, whether their business is sustainable, you know, what kind of strategy they, they, they have in place. And of course, there are some clubs that basically it's all about winning, and other clubs are about player development, and yet cl- and other clubs about local uh, community, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think it, those rules and changes will help to to focus on that. Darius, as a final thought, there because we've been talking a lot about well disputes and and big issues to do with the football industry and money, but you did just say something there which I thought was really interesting: local community, and this is of course. A huge part of what football is about in your country, in my country, in all of our listeners' countries too. Football is still this community asset. It's it's a great way of bringing people together in 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 a in a, in a at a time when there aren't that many other things and institutions that do anymore. And the reason I'm I'm asking you this is I I understand that Polish football in particular has responded incredibly well to the situation across your border in Ukraine. I know that we've talked about this and just how Polish football very, very quickly mobilised to help the refugees. What, what's, what's the latest you can tell me about that? What, what, what's, what's going on in Poland today and what, what's, what's Legia doing? Well, this is uh, what we talked about recently. It's still going on and I would say it's even improving. It's, we're doing it, you know, this morning I was looking outside of my window here at the stadium there's several big trucks, you know, coming from different parts of Europe because we are the hub for trans for for getting equipment for the refugee center in Lvov in in Ukraine, where the the arena is being turned into a refugee center. So we're helping to to uh, to provide to equip it to 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 make it work, etc. Bringing also help from other clubs and also giving our our own support to to do that. We are supporting. Uh, uh, Athletes, you know, more and more, in fact, requests to to for our academy to bring in the whole teams from parts of Ukraine and uh, and uh, you know house them and uh, allow them to train and help them with that, etc. Uh, we have set up uh, daycare centers for the mothers and the and the kids from the age of zero to nine, so they they have a place to leave those kids, etc., etc. The, and many clubs are doing similar type of initiatives. The one thing that we're doing now, which is going to actually happen on, on uh, Tuesday, and this is, this is significant, I think, in the European scale, is that we also, we're starting as the first club to, to uh, uh, organize a charity match against Dynamo Kiev. 
they've, they've gotten a special uh, allowance from the from the government to leave Ukraine because normally the, the Ukrainians who bo- uh, men cannot leave Ukraine to start a series of matches. And at our stadium on on Tuesday, we are organizing it together with the uh, uh, Ukrainian embassy, a major charity uh, match between Legia and Dynamo Kiev together with, of course, artistic program, very symbolic, uh, raising money for refugees who are actually in Ukraine, because not many, not maybe everybody realizes that, okay, about 5 million Ukrainians left Ukraine, but there is about 11 or 12 million that have been displaced from Eastern Ukraine to Western Ukraine. So, so there is a significant problem inside Ukraine as well. So, and, and the plan is that this will be called the match for peace and, uh, and will be widely talked about, and we are the initiators with, uh, uh, of that uh, of that series. And hopefully, they will play also with other big teams in Europe. I know they have plans to talk in, to to play in Paris and in Amsterdam and uh, in other places as well. Great! Thanks so much for your time. Great talking to you, and all the best for the rest of the season. Thank you very much. Take care. Uh, fascinating stuff, Matt. And actually, the game that he was talking about has now been played. Yeah, that was last week. Um, it's uh, yeah, it was um, obviously Legend Warsaw versus Dinamo Kiev. Dinamo Kiev and Shakhtar Donetsk, I think, are on this little, little friendly tour about raising awareness, raising money, of course, for the situation in um, in Ukraine. I think there's also an element of giving some of Ukraine's players some playing time ahead of um, you know the, the the playoff they've got against um, Scotland. To, to try and get to Qatar 2022, which I think that game's on the 1st of June, I believe. Um, so, yeah, it was a big success. Uh, I saw the pictures, looked great. Uh, and, you know, obviously just a fantastic and moving occasion for all involved, really, because because there's a real, it's been an amazing story about the, the refugee situation in Poland. Poland's been just incredibly welcoming and generous. And Polish football has been absolutely central to that story and um, you know I did a little piece about that oh, a few weeks ago now where pretty much every club has stepped up and just done that wonderful thing that football does that whole kind of community hub thing be it raising money collecting food organising you know homes and it's just been it's just been wonderful and look I'd like to think that we do the same here but Poland has just has just really stepped up I think the other thing that I suppose from a more sort of football newsy point of view, sort of the type of thing that we talk about on this podcast, was just getting him to sort of talk about the changes to the Champions League from 24-25. And of course, we are talking a year on from the European Super League. And there's been an awful lot of conversation, uh, justified I think, that the big clubs got their way again. Now, they might not have quite planned it that way but they've managed to very conveniently get a bigger uh, bigger Champions League you know with with more places um, they've got a bigger say in the running of that competition now um, yeah so things have kind of <laughs> gone pretty well for, for the for the clubs there and, I, and one of the real flashpoints and it's probably one of the last things that to be decided though the direction of travel is so clear is are these two coefficient places and, and and that's still a live a live topic of debate and that's 
So they've gone, they've gone from 32 to 36 teams in the Champions League. And uh, two of those places, one will go to the, the sort of the fifth best league. They're going to get an extra place. And then there'll be another place given to a, a champion from a, from, a, from a good league, you know, to get, to get another team there. But these two other places, which I think many neutrals, romantics, call it, you know, call it what you will, uh, would like to go to the champion of, I don't know, Switzerland, Scotland, whatever, y- Ukraine, Poland, to, to get them in there is being reserved for two giants basically who who had a who had a poor season back at home and didn't get didn't qualify via the league in the way that we understand it now could for example come fifth or sixth in the premier league on the basis of their historic coefficient i.e. their performance in european cup competitions over the last 5 years find themselves in the Champions League. So it's that kind of backdoor for the big clubs, which, of course, bring the biggest audiences. And that is why Darius's answer was so interesting. Legia Warsaw cap on, yeah, I want, it should go to Poland, the Polish champions, or the, or the runner-up, or, or the champions in Russia, well, you know, whatever. No, maybe not Russia, but you know what I mean. Um, but with the ECA hats on... <laughs> Hold on a minute. No, this has been the, a long conversation with UEFA. It's a long, very careful compromise about money and how we distribute it all. Yes, we probably do need Man United. I'm sorry to pick on them, Mark. Uh, in there, uh, or a Roma, or a Barca if they have a shocker, or you know you, that type of club. We need them in there. Great or good? Hmm. Well. If they want United in there, it's probably just to see them get walloped five or six nil by Europe's big teams yeah. at the moment. Um, just one on Chelsea and the takeover and and the latest as we record this on a Wednesday morning. Yeah, I think probably the last time we talked about it, there was still you know four team four four teams four four large bidding groups still in there. It's down to three. The um, probably the most controversial of the of the bidding groups, the the Chicago Cubs. Guys, uh, Ricketts family and Ken Griffin, and I think uh, they had Dan Gilbert in there as well, and another another partner in there at the end. By at the end, they they have they pulled out last week uh, ahead of the deadline for final bids, which was Thursday. Um, they said they did it because they just couldn't align their interests, which I think is probably true. I think they had they had ridden out the controversy around uh, Tom Ricketts' dad's comments. Um, They'd, they'd, they'd reached out to fans groups, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it was a sort of communication issue, a sort of kind of, you know, they just they just couldn't agree probably who was going to be the boss. That's the problem with these large syndicates. And they are all large syndicates. That is very much one of the stories that's coming off the back of this Chelsea takeover process. One, American money, the the amount of interest this, this process has created in the States, I, I, I gather, is off the chart. So... I fully expect a couple more Premier League and Championship clubs to go American pretty soon. And then I think this idea of the syndicate, which has been around in private equity for a while, it's kind of crept up on football. Uh, I sort of sense that we're kind of still, oh, this is amazing. Look, how many people in this group? Look, Fenway Sports Group is a really good example. Crystal Palace is owned by a large group of people we don't, you know, who, who we don't talk about all the time. Some of the shareholders there. So there's lots of clubs that are already doing this. I just think this is that this is this is this is now. This is what's going to happen from now on. So we're left with three. I'd probably say that um, the, the sort of feeling, the consensus is, is it's between the Todd Bowley led group, LA Dodgers, uh, Hans Jörg Weiss. Um, Clear Lake, which is a sort of large private equity firm, they're 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 backing that group. I think I think Todd Bowley's probably marginally in the lead. 
uh, Martin Broughton, his gang. Um, you've got, they added a quite an interesting name. Well, it's backed, largely backed by Harrison Blitzer, of course, from Crystal Palace. But they added quite an interesting get, uh, guy last week. Uh, Alejandro Santo Domingo, who is a large shareholder in Anheuser Busch, uh, another wealthy guy with British connections. He's married a Brit, um, so they're quite interesting. And then you'd have Steve Paliuka, the third group. He's the Boston Celtics co-owner with other big American guys. You know, big American and Canadian uh, sports investors, Larry Tenenbaum, Bob Iger. Um, so interesting groups. Uh, I think they were hoping to get a decision this week. I suspect that might kick on to next week. I think there's just so much to do that I think we might get a decision early next week. Uh, which gives us more material for next it week. It does. Then. Great. <laughs> uh, good stuff, Matt. Plenty more on this story uh, on The Athletic. Don't forget right now you can subscribe for just a pound a month. Head to theathletic.com uh, slash football pod. Thanks for listening. The Athletic.